You are listening to a recording of a sermon delivered at St. Rose Community Church. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.sdrosecc.org. Good morning. It is not very often that my brother Terry gets to lead worship on the same day that I happen to be preaching. Uh, what a blessing that is. Um, but I uh, hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, uh, and tomorrow we'll have a Happy New Year. Uh, if you have a three- or a four-year-old, they are actually right now dismissed to go to their class. Uh, otherwise, uh, please go ahead and take out your Bible. If you do not have a Bible and you may be visiting with us today, uh, go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our church members will gladly bring you a copy of God's Word. Uh, as Brandon opened up with this morning, today actually concludes our Advent series of Heralding Christ. And if we know that the very term Advent means coming, so every week we have heard uh, the voices of various heralds that God has so chosen to publicly proclaim the coming of Jesus. Now in our final week, uh, this week we witness a scene uh, that is really not too unfamiliar uh, to the people of Israel. Basically, parents bringing in their child uh, and a mother for purification. Uh, this is now when Jesus is about 33 days old or so. so. But it's through this scene that this morning we find two people. Uh, simply an older man and an older woman who both together serve to be our final heralds of the coming Jesus. So today our text comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Uh, but before we read, uh, let's ask the Lord one more time to guide us through this text for this morning. Father, um, thank you for the grace of being able to preach today. Father, thank you for the grace of being in front of your word. As we just sang together, um, where else can we go? Um, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Father, we just are so thankful for a church that we are able to gather and listen together. But Lord, I pray that we feel your spirit move this morning. Father, hearing the words of my brothers and sisters singing and praying uh, Father, this morning it's clear that your spirit is moving. Um, Lord, what is it that you are doing today? I pray that we hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 2, again, verses 22 through 38 reads, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death 
before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she, sorry, from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Jesus, in just a few verses earlier, we learned that Jesus had been circumcised on the eighth day. Mary and Joseph simply were just kind of following the natural progression in the life of the new parents of a firstborn Israelite boy. Now, we don't really have time to kind of unpack all the the major significant details that are actually taking place, because there is quite a few. But uh, as with all of God's rites, all of God's ordinances, He's painting a picture. Think of how we observe baptism. And communion. We paint a picture. The ceremony of purification served as the kind of this dual role for the people of Israel within Jewish families. One of those roles of this ceremony is that Mary, Mary needed to be granted purification from childbirth, allowing her access to a normal worship practice in the temple. The second role that this ceremony of purification allowed is that they were remembering, remembering God passing over the firstborn Israelite boys in Egypt, but not sparing the firstborn Egyptian boys and even that of their animals. Now it's worth mentioning that, you see, it's that these sacrifices that they offered up today and otherwise pointed to a better sacrifice that was coming. So if you track with me to help us kind of settle in to the right position to receive the text this morning, we need to understand that everything about this particular ceremony is quite different because Jesus is the baby. You see, all of the stories, all of the sacrifices, all the acts of obedience, every Passover was about the very child that they held in their arms. The promised offspring 
that Brandon mentioned in our first week of Advent in Genesis chapter 3 would crush the head of the serpent. That one offspring had come. So this morning, Luke allows us to simply observe a scene, but does so through the eyes of two bystanders who have been waiting a very, very long time for this moment. Anna and Simeon. This morning serve as representatives of righteous, devout lives hoping for Christ. Look back at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Jump down to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer day and night. So right off the bat, we can kind of tell a pretty high level, kind of three observations uh, of both Anna and Simeon, things that they have in common uh, together. One is that they're older, right? Uh, one is that they're advanced in years, likely probably a marker, uh, more or less of wisdom. Um, two, that they both were described as devout people or people of godly discipline. But also, thirdly, both appear to be waiting or hoping. Simeon was actually promised that he would not see death until seeing the Lord's Christ. He hoped for Jesus. Anna lived in the temple, praying and fasting, longing to see God's promises fulfilled. She hoped in Jesus. See, I believe that Luke uses these two characters, again, as representatives of what happens when all that you have hoped for in your life happens to be in the same room. Two people this morning, three observations that I pray help us reevaluate our relationship with Jesus. Observation number one. The righteous and devoted live to hope in Jesus. You see, pretty much as long ago as we have a history, God made a promise. Uh, because we sinfully rejected God's design for creation, he, His promise would be that He would send one. He would send an offspring who would come and crush the head of the serpent. This is what a righteous and devoted man like Simeon or a prophetess like Anna was hoping for. As our text describes, hoping for the consolation of God's people, Israel. 
So God would pass down this message of hope. You see, just like hope spreads from us through the past work of Jesus, hope simply spread through them because of the future work of Jesus. God's righteous people would devote their lives to the promises of God knowing as Advent means coming, more was always coming. All the way to this point in history that we're studying this morning. Simeon and Anna lived enriched in hope of a child. Simeon granted a gift A promise that he would live to see Christ. Anna lived a life without a husband. Without a child of her own. But instead, she lived devoted in hope of the promises of God's child. They and others alike in Israel lived their lives for the express purpose of hoping in God's saving grace For them and for the rest of Israel, friends, brothers and sisters this morning, generations of people before us by the grace of God through faith in God hoped every day in the promise of a Messiah. The very same hope that we have today passed down, was passed down, excuse me, through them. Their lives were simply ruined for all other pursuits. Because what more could they want beyond Christ? What more should we hope for beyond Jesus? God had made consolation with His people and and He did so by sending His Son. All Anna and Simeon or any of us have have to do is trust that in order for consolation with God to exist, He was going to have to send it in the form of a gift. We call this having faith. Faith knowing that we need consolation, redemption, and living for a hope that God will give it. Hebrews 4, excuse me, Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. See, I think Luke chose to include um, both Simeon and Anna as these representatives of the people, uh, of God's people, who their very lives hinged on the hope of the promised offspring, Jesus. The very source of their hope now was in the same room. So, The first of three observations that again we're making today of a righteous and devoted life is that the righteous and devoted live to find hope in Jesus. Verse 27. And he, Simeon, came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law of the law he took him up in his arms and blessed God uh, have you ever kind of witnessed the the sweetness uh, of a moment when a 
uh, a grandparent or a great-grandparent holds their newborn grandchild. Uh, now, take that very same scene and kind of multiply it by a thousand as the hope that was fulfilled in Simeon of what he now holds in his arms. Simeon begins now to speak. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon begins to herald the child that he holds, making this giant connection to the prophet Isaiah. You see, Simeon knew that the consolation of Israel was not just for them. Simeon knew that the consolation of Israel had some very deep implications. Look one more time with me when he says, salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon incorporates words from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49 verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. Now listen closely. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Friends, right out in the open, a man of obvious wisdom And influence basically says, I hold in my arms the very reason God has preserved Israel. This child is the salvation of the whole world. Our second observation that I think naturally builds on the first observation, a life of hope in Jesus, is observation number two, the righteous and devoted live to herald Jesus. Friends, in the spirit of this Advent series, Heralding Christ, we've listened to to the glorious heralds of shepherds, Mary and Martha, of angels, and now we lay focus on that of a man longing for the gift of seeing the salvation of the world come to complete fulfillment in Jesus. Anna too, in the presence of Jesus, speaks to those waiting for the redemption of Israel. Jesus has been prepared for all people. There is no national, economic, social, or racial boundary restricting the promised Jesus. Why do we so in our church adamantly work to reach other places of the world with the message of Jesus? Because we have simply looked at the salvation of Jesus and know that it's not just for us to smuggle around. Jesus Himself gave us His command to go to all nations. 
Luke gives us every observation through Simeon and Anna, a prophetess devoted to prayer and fasting, that the natural outpouring of the righteous life devoted to Jesus is a life devoted to heralding Jesus. So we hold figuratively in our arms that no other religious system or socioeconomic ladder can give. No one can give a gift like the gift of Jesus. But, in all that Simeon just proclaimed, he also took the time to explain what such a salvation costs. How such a salvation is possible. How such a salvation is unique, unlike anything else, and how a, such a salvation can include all nations. Simeon actually turns directly to Mary and says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I can only imagine um, what holding a child that uh, is everything that you've ever lived for can feel like. But amidst, amidst such joy... Simeon does say some sobering words. As he holds perfect innocence in his arms, he says, Jesus will be opposed. He will be pierced. As his mother looks on to her soul be pierced. The cost will be unimaginable. Verse 35, he says that the thoughts in the hearts of many will be revealed and accounted for. The heel of the offspring will be exposed, will be bruised, but the head of the serpent will slink out to be crushed. This should be a lesson to us that you see, the, the only true and honest way of heralding Christ is looking into the eyes of a person with a sobering honesty. With the very same gravity of telling a new mother that her child will die because of her sins, of my sins, of the sins of the rest of the world. But because of Jesus, He's going to be the one to take your punishment. This innocence will take the punishment of your sins and anyone else who has faith. All will be forgiven. So our second observation built on hope is that Jesus is the righteous and devoted, excuse me, the hope that is built in Jesus is that a righteous and devoted life is a life that heralds Jesus. Now, we may venture to assume that Simeon and Anna didn't really live too terribly long 
uh, after this encounter with Jesus. But thus far, uh, we have leaned into kind of the kindred spirit of both Anna and Simeon together, mostly kind of focusing on Simeon. But, but I, want you to, I want to call attention to our last verse. This is about Anna. And it says, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, a prophetess by nature spent her whole life foretelling the coming Jesus. And now, at the end of her days, a thankful servant of the Lord, listen closely, simply just continues to do what she's always done. You see, I believe that there's a final observation here. One that's more implied of a righteous and devoted life. But if I can be honest with you about something, um, this text, as you can probably tell, isn't that theologically complex or hard. Um, But as your pastor, I I did struggle to write this sermon. Um, I believe I struggled as your pastor to appreciate some of the observations of a righteous and devoted people. Uh, Truth be told, preaching about two people at the end of their life probably wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be. Maybe you can empathize with what I'm talking about. How much more do we find fulfillment in material comfort? Dreams of traversing the world, educational accolades, lustrous careers, family legacies, and yawn at the idea of a life of holiness, a life like Anna, living in a temple her whole life widowed, her whole life a virgin, who finds Jesus and just continues to do the work she's always done. Simeon and Anna seem to be pretty beyond satisfied with the life that they've led. As did Paul, the disciples, countless other men and women of the Bible, There's a book called The Pursuit of Holiness written by Jerry Bridges. Uh, He quoted, he's quoted in saying that only those who are obedient, who are pursuing holiness as a way of life, will know the joy that comes from God. The final observation that I'd like us to make in our progressive list of observations this morning is observation number three is that the righteous and devoted live to savor Jesus. You see, I believe that these two people we were allowed to observe represent, they represent a life that that many of us would, truth be told, claim to be simple, maybe even boring. 
but they represent a life fulfilled in what I fear myself or many of us tend to forget. You see, I believe even bigger than hoping in Jesus, even bigger than heralding Jesus, is a life that finds Jesus that we can now and forever savor for eternity. Those of you in my Habits of Grace class that we just finished up this last semester uh, will remember what I'm kind of getting ready to say or talk about, but how many of you uh, have read uh, the words uh, of, a, of a book from like that of Philippians, one of Paul's letters, when he says things like, Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, and again, I say rejoice. Or he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But how many times have you read words like that, even other places in Scripture, and think they only apply theoretically to the life of a Christian? You can't imagine, sadly, a life that would be any sadder or less exciting or joyous than living in a temple, praying and fasting. Beloved, can it be that we have hindered our ability to find completeness in the joy in the gospel? You see, Paul from prison, and he wrote, as he wrote many of his letters, seems to be pretty hunky-dory with the fact that, that, and the work that God is continuing to do while he lays incarcerated. Is it because that he's just in prison that he's excited about this? No. Or is there something else about life entirely that brings him joy? If you search the letters of Paul or, or Peter or look at the lives of Simeon or Anna, the common theme of all of them seems to be that no matter what their lives look like, no matter what circumstances they are living in, the gospel always seems to be advancing and thereby is the source of their joy. Amen. Think of what it must have felt like for all the hours spent in prayer and in fasting, teaching and listening, laboring and, and repenting and believing, and that everything was now going to be okay as God has promised. All of the stories of paradise in Genesis, walking with God in the garden, will be fully realized again because of this baby. How have we been conformed to the world if the obligatory ritual of Christmas is remembering Jesus instead of savoring Jesus as the culmination of the salvation of the world? See, the word savor made sense to me here because we're seeing a man and a woman that I don't believe they're just kind of settling for this life. With Jesus at its center. Not even just enjoying this life. It, it even, it's even beyond contentment. Jesus seems to represent all that they have been living for. All that they are hoping for. All they seem to want to talk about. Do we savor? Jesus. 
What if instead of asking questions to people like, are you a Christian? Are you saved? What if we ask them, are you savoring Jesus? Simeon and Anna, two characters of humble position, find themselves in the presence of the promised one, Jesus. It's clear what they've been living for. Looking forward to their entire lives they have found in this child. For being honest, likely they had moments of hardship, right? Moments of uncertainty, right? They're humans. But they weren't waiting for heaven to savor Jesus. They were doing it right now. We too can live inside of a hope knowing that Jesus did everything that He said He was going to do. He defeated sin and death. By God's grace, we can repent this very minute of a life savoring created things rather than our Creator. What would be a greater tragedy? That others know my life was full of adventure and romance and glory or a quiet life devoted to finding hope in Jesus, a life heralding His name, a life savoring Him now and forever. I do believe that it is possible um, for Christians to establish habits. Maybe even making them feel hardwired into the way that they think the way they act, even the way they worship. Maybe it's even hard for you to comprehend what I'm talking about. It's hard for me to comprehend what I'm talking about. But I also believe that Bible teaches that Christians were meant through the power of the Spirit to be rewired. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. Don't get caught in the trap thinking that you can never live or even want to live a righteous and devoted life unlike that of Anna or Simeon. Jesus didn't come to satisfy your appetite. He came to change it. What is it that you are savoring? If someone asked your children, friends, or family what it is that you savor, what would they say? If God is convicting your heart this morning like He is mine, this minute you can make a decision. You see, um, it's not a New Year's sermon, but um, I don't think there's any accident why it happened to fall uh, the day before a new year. Uh, we in our culture love to see a new year as an opportunity to change direction, to establish new habits. Why not live a life where you clearly savor Christ? Why not establish habits in your life? Stephen led us in a beautiful prayer this morning with, with the idea that that's something we can pray for. That's something we can ask for. You can live with a hope that Jesus is most assuredly coming back. He is coming to see you again face to face to hold you now in His arms. Your sin and your suffering will be no more. 
The hope that you can have can, can overshadow all that life can throw at you. 2024 and beyond can be a year of hope for yourself and for your friends and your family. Who do you want to know Jesus? Who have you been praying for to know Jesus? You can walk right down the street with utter assurity knowing that, he, that you have what everyone needs. You can herald the salvation of Jesus to the world. You can savor Jesus in ways that you never imagined. Living a quiet life in prayer and fasting. But in the spirit of Simeon, we do need to be honest. Such a life is costly. Many of the things that you now savor will likely have to change, maybe even go away. But don't walk out the door today. Number one, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, there are things that are available to you because of Jesus that nothing this world can bring to you. Nothing this world can offer. I don't care how clear or amazing or awesome it might seem. Place your faith in Jesus. Please talk to me. Talk to one of our other pastors. Talk to our, one of our church members before you walk out the door. We will stay here all day. Lunch can wait. Going home can wait. We can stay here all day in front of the Word of God and wrestle in front of it with you. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, don't walk out that door today with this feeling of unassurity, knowing, thinking, how am I going to do this? None of us were called to do this alone. None of us also have this figured out. We need to do this together. That's why we've been given a church. That's why we've been given the Word of God. Sometimes we just need help realizing how to savor Jesus. Sometimes we just need help understanding how to be righteous, how to be devoted. Sometimes we just need to observe the lives of others to help us remind help us be reminded of those things. Two people, Anna and Simeon, three observations. Observation number one. The righteous and devoted live to hope in Jesus. Observation number two. The righteous and devoted live to herald Jesus. Observation number three. The righteous and devoted live to savor Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Father, I praise You for the things that You do to humble our hearts. How desperately, Father, we need You. How desperately we need Your words. I pray that we would be convicted, Father. Father, we would work, Father, these many days, these many months, years, Lord, that we would labor to draw close to You. As Stephen said, that there are all these disciplines Lord, that we may put in place in our lives mean nothing if they're not about Jesus. 
They need to be about Jesus. Anna and, Anna and Simeon's lives were about Jesus. I pray that people look into our lives and know that our lives are about Jesus. That people drive down St. Rose Avenue not wondering what happens in our church, but know what happens in our church because they see people wanting Jesus. Father, may Your words pierce to the division of our soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Be with us as we continue to worship. In these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.